0: Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions, brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. And welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic. Rather than making recommendations because everyone's circumstances are different, we talk to subject matter experts about how they would recommend thinking about that decision. My name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's podcast. I'm a director at Brady Ware & Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alpharetta, Georgia, which is where we are recording today. Brady Ware is sponsoring this podcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast aggregator, and please also consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. So our topic today is how can I recession-proof my business? and you know, on, on one respect, recession proofing sounds like the holy grail. It sounds like something that's so great that it, it can't possibly be done. I think we're going to dispel that myth uh, fairly quickly today. Um, but you know that as as business owners and business leaders, we are so involved in the day to day, granular nature of our operations. And if you happen to be a business owner or a leader that that truly can take a big picture view as often as you would like congratulations, let me know, I'd like to have you on the podcast, you can tell the rest of us how you do it. But for most of us, you know, we're, we're you know, for most of us, the, the, you know, a week ahead of our calendar is the, the other side of our lives. And um, the fact of the matter is that that our economy is not recession proof. Now, I think the data would show that our periods of expansion appear to be getting longer. And it's unclear yet as to whether or not that means that When our recessions do happen, they'll be that much more severe or if 08-09 was simply simply an aberration. But we do know that just as in gravity, whatever goes up must come down. And so having a business that is able to weather a a downturn that may be somewhat prolonged is an important way to establish that company's value because if it's only viable during good times, uh, then – by definition, you know that your runway is finite. So I think everybody is going to find this a fascinating and, and useful topic. And joining us today to talk about this by phone is Wes Gipe of Aileron, a management consulting firm in Tip City, Ohio. Wes works with business owners and their teams as a trusted facilitator, business advisor, and coach. Known for his enthusiasm and high-energy approach, Wes's willingness to boldly approach tough issues and go the extra mile have gained him loyal clients who look to him for help with strategic planning, leadership, culture, and culture development, and conflict resolution. Wes started his journey as an Aileron client in 2008, so I guess he's like Victor Kayim. He liked the razor so much he bought the company. After applying Aileron's professional management principles to build a self-managing company, he now spends much of his time helping other organizations, big and small, build a strategy that endures. Through this work, he has logged over 9,000 coaching hours with more than 500 individuals throughout North America and Europe. His work has been featured in Forbes as well as other national media outlets. West resides in Miami County, Ohio, with his wife and three rambunctious boys. West, welcome to the program. And rambunctious and boy sounds kind of redundant, doesn't
1: it? It does. It's a loud house. I'll
0: tell you, <laughs> loud house, and probably with uh, with increasingly unbreakable things.
1: Indeed, indeed. <laughs> we just we, we'll have nice things sometime in the future.
0: There you go. So uh, let, let's let's jump into it and let's talk about you know when you talk about a recession-proof business. What what does that mean? What And is any business truly recession-proof?
1: Well, you know, uh, a mentor of mine said that there's uh, no normal environment, only the one that you're in and the one that you should be preparing for. So I think there's no one who looks up and says, gosh, my business is just totally recession-proof. And And if you do, I would suggest you take stock of where you really are. Uh, but there are there are those who do a good job of recognizing that things will not always be as they are today, whether they're experiencing good times or challenging ones, and there's just still work to be done if they are to adequately prepare for that next environment. So I don't think it's as much about uh, a destination as it is a continual awareness of the weaknesses and the strengths of the businesses and 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 a, and a reaction to that.
0: So when a business owner thinks about let's call it being recession ready, um, yeah. Does that mean for most business owners, surviving a recession, just sort of making it to the next next expansion, limiting the damage of a recession, or maybe even in some cases thriving in a recession?
1: Yeah, it's a great question because, and I think the the answer is somewhat uh, subjective. Uh, I think it depends, um, which is, of course, any consultant's best answer, right? It depends, but there are certainly kinds it's on of my business card. Though, well, is that right yeah and so the, but what the observation i'll make is there are certainly kinds of businesses that take harder hits than others when the economy changes i mean for example the automotive market responds very different than the healthcare market but both respond at the end of the day um and, and the good news is in that reality that all of your competitors that are in the same spaces you are experiencing the exact same thing you can't control it Uh, What you do control, though, is is what you do while you wait for those external factors to recover. And I think there's always opportunity in a recession because everything goes on sale. People go on sale. Property goes on sale. Equipment goes on sale. Services go on sale. Nearly everything can be had at a discount, and sometimes a huge discount. So the question becomes, you know, what should we and can what can we and should we buy now? What should we invest in that would be difficult or expensive to buy during the recovery?
0: So why aren't all businesses making those kinds of plans? I mean, why why doesn't every business kind of have that mentality?
1: Well, I think um interesting well the first thing I might point out uh that comes to mind is is that some businesses actually boom with a recession. Uh you know, we, we don't necessarily think that way, but quick service restaurants for example, what we might call fast food um, they generally will see uh, revenue growth during a recession because people are reprioritizing their dollars. They have less disposable income, that sort of thing. So I, I think it, I think it depends. In some cases, uh, things are pretty good when things are going well, and they're great when things, uh, when things go south. Um, but I, I think while there are certainly outliers like, like that, I think those who endure the greatest harm from a recession are those who uh, acted as if the good times. Would last forever if you know what I mean. The the killer in in a recession is not necessarily revenue decline, but it's a failure to build a cost structure that's able to scale down as a revenue declines without compromising the the core competency of the business. Cutting uh, cutting fat but not muscle, if you will. And that kind of planning, I would point out, is far easier to do and is done with far more clarity when the economy is strong. It's, it, those who wait to plan that way uh, until uh, we start to see the turn and we have the stress of revenue decline, we have the stress of those difficult conversations with our people and with with our, our, our customers are far more susceptible to emotion, um, emotional and therefore far more risky decision-making.
0: You know, interesting you bring up McDonald's. Uh, you know, that that's a classic example of what an economist would call a so-called inferior good. That when the economy is is doing badly, that that customers switch from whatever higher end restaurants at which they used to dine, you know, to a, a fast food kind of place. And, and you know, interestingly, uh, I, I credit the, the 0809 recession with launching the electric vehicle market because back then the notion yeah. that you could drive without having to fill your car with gas. That was extremely attractive, and as yeah. as we've emerged from that recession, you know, environmental concerns, whether you believe them or not, they've not changed. Um, but what has changed is now you're not as concerned about filling up your Ford F one hundred and fifty with twenty five twenty five bucks of gas or twenty five gallons of gas.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it it is fascinating to me as well because I think we all see, I think to some degree we're programmed to see the downside to to something that. Uh, the media and an economists would would paint in a really negative light. Now, uh, I would uh, go so far as to say that economists exist so that uh, weathermen can be proud of their profession. I don't think that they know anything more about about where our economy going is going than than a business owner that's got his or her head uh, ear to the ground and head head looking out ahead. Um, but there is some truth to that. There are opportunities created. The the truth that is. Perhaps not as obvious when it's happening, but but no less true is is that there are op- real opportunities created during during recessions. You know, I focused earlier on the uh, on the cost control and investment and things when they go on sale. but the other reality is that the business opportunities are created interestingly enough, um, my own uh, my own journey uh, in two thousand and eight when two thousand eight hit uh, I had a mentor that came to me and said, uh, you know what you need to do here is spend while others are scared, and it was uh, sort of a different take on uh, Warren Buffett's uh, perspective in his letter to the shareholders some years ago, where where we would do well to be cautious when other others are greedy and greedy when others are cautious or something to that effect and um you know what was interesting is it is we took that advice and fortunately in my case we had a number of uh, of outsiders that were committed uh, uh to being part of a board of advisors and so they helped me to maintain a focus on uh, on investing wisely during that time and what was fascinating is that customer count grew consistently revenue shrunk and so you start looking at those numbers, and, and most of us with any sort of ration, rational thinking ability would say this is a this is a terrible situation. But what was also true is people were spending emotionally, and, and so the, there was pent up demand that was being created, particularly in the businesses I was in, that had to be released eventually. And so that wave of revenue came, but it didn't come for two years after we. Spent we spent the the money the time and the effort on on capturing those customers while they were being ignored by our competitors
0: well, yeah, because when your competitors retrench, right? they're leaving a vacuum in the market and, right. and you know you're right if, if you have kind of that that dry powder, um, there's tremendous opportunity to capture market share to capture mind share, frankly, and also attract great talent yeah. because not just the employment unemployment being higher, but also you know don't you want to work for the company that's on offense, right? Playing defense yeah, stinks. that's yeah. why we admire teams that do it. <laughs> playing offense right. and scoring is always more fun. So if you're playing offense in a defensive environment, you know I think that tends to attract aggressive, more successful business people
1: yeah i I think that's true. I think it's also true though that it is very difficult to endure two years of that. And just trust that, <laughs> that the wind's going to come. And I think that's where I found the outside board to be tremendously helpful. Um, people that weren't emotionally attached to the decision-making, uh, people that were uh, older, wiser, had seen a few more cycles like that than than I had. Uh, and I think that's what gave me the confidence to continue on when it, when it seemed like, all right, we've been doing this for a really long time, and I'm just trusting that this is all going to work out. But in, in the end, it does. Um, cause you're caring for customers in a way that maybe your competitors can't.
0: So, you know, let, let's, let's talk about the good old recessions. It's hard for me to believe it's, it's been over 10 years now since Lehman Ten Brothers years, collapsed. Right? It seems like two days yeah. ago. Um, but you know, it sounds like you're of the mind that, you know, companies can position themselves to be successful even in a recession that was pretty profound, not just financially, but I yeah. think from a psyche perspective.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I I think they can. I think they can. There are certainly now what I don't want to discount is there are certainly industries that just got decimated with that with that recession and through no fault of their own. I mean, the best laid plans and there were industries that just got hit so hard that that it was very, very difficult, if not impossible to recover. But those really, if you step back and look, at the full picture of the economy, those were really, in my opinion, the exception rather than the rule. Uh, most of the folks uh there was a prediction made here at aileron, interestingly enough when uh when we were in the throes of of like i'll say early nine and that was that we believed that there would be more companies actually fail on the upswing or in the recovery than did in the recession itself. And the reason for that thinking um, was that uh, most people cut bone. Um, they cut too far uh, out of, out of fear and and out of emotional decision making. Or uh, perhaps they cut just a little further than they should, fail to cast a vision, and, and the the real talent and the best customers get nervous and leave. Um, and, and that, that is – we saw some version of that come true. I won't say that was universally true, but we, we did see some version of that come true that we saw a lot of people, if not fail outright, really suffer and and uh, I'll say grow in fits and spurts as a result of having to rebuild core infrastructure uh, before they could even think about uh, scaling the business to take advantage of the recovery. So I do think – all that to today, I do think there's a tremendous opportunity when the chips are down, to think rationally and and in an intellectually honest way about the business and look for opportunities.
0: You know, one one industry that that comes to mind that really took it on the chin and serves, I think, as an interesting object lesson is the legal industry. Um, yeah. You know, for the first time that anybody can remember, firms on mass are not just cutting staff; they were cutting partners and even equity partners. Um, yeah. You know, what right. they certainly yeah, would a have long considered time. bone. Yeah. And what's happened to, you know, what's happened since then is, is the fundamental business of law has changed in that, yeah. you know, now there's a recognition that every lawyer who's an equity partner must be a revenue generator and a profit center. If you're not, you're just never going to be a partner that's going to be cut in the next recession in the first place. So what they've done is, although they've deemphasized the technician and that's been a tough pill to swallow for the technician because that work is becoming commoditized, sure the is, business yeah. of law, itself is probably more resilient to the next recession because their model now is able to scale up and down much more easily um, than it did 10 years ago.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, and I think, I mean, that's, you know, sort of what I was referring to when I said that, uh, when I made the comment about the, the issue not being declining revenue, but, but the inability to scale cost uh, with that change in revenue and, um, And, you know, I think in in law firms that that's a that's a labor heavy uh, model. It's a model that needed uh, innovating. Um, And what's interesting, I was just sitting here thinking, as you were talking about the law space, uh, I was thinking about Thomas Friedman in The World is Flat. I think that book was written in roughly 2000, something like that. Um, and, And it's interesting to me that it's only now becoming really, really true. Uh, you know we've now seen real examples of what he was uh positing back back in two thousand that you know if you're the middle accountant that never has any contact with customers you're you're in real danger uh, of finding yourself outsourced uh versus if you're in the business of relationship management or something that's much more difficult to outsource to a nameless faceless Uh, entity somewhere else in the the world that your job is not only going to be secure, it's going to actually grow in value. And I think that's what we saw in that industry. And we've seen it in a lot of industries uh, otherwise as well.
0: So let's, let's, let's start talking at a more micro level, you know, in your experience, what are typically, what are companies typically lacking that makes them more recession vulnerable and, you know, why do they need help from somebody like you to help them, remediate those issues.
1: well, I I often say, you know I came to Aileron here as a client. And what I got at aileron that that I was unable to get anywhere else um, was the truth. The objective, bare, hard, harsh truth, someone to look me in the eye and and and, and really challenge my thinking. not. Of course, accountants are good for this. Attorneys are, are good for this. But there are limits to, to the, the truth that they're going to give you. And candidly, there, there are limits to, to what the scope of the, uh, uh, of the sort of issues that they are, they're they're going to typically uh, approach. And so what I got here at AILOM was not a replacement for any of those things, but really um, someone looked me in the eye and help me think about my business and the decisions that I was making in an intellectually honest way. Way, and I think those uh, who are lacking something that, that that makes it difficult to recession prove themselves most often. What I see is they lack the ability to be intellectually honest. They lack, and that that only comes in my experience with with an outsider that only has your best interest at heart. Um, and so that's what I got here. I, I have this distinct memory of leaning against. Uh, uh, <laughs> A, a post in the in the cafe, downwards, coffee and snacks, and and my business advisor sort of looked me in the eye and he said, so "How much money are you willing to spend to prove that you're
0: right?" Hmm. That's a question. That's that that's really put your cards on the table kind of question, isn't
1: it? Oh wow! Right, and I and I remember thinking after I considered just running out of the building, what what. Where else could I get that you know there there one of the precious precious things that you you learn uh, one of the things that you learn is very precious as a leader is is, is those few people whom you deeply respect that are willing to to look you in the eye and and challenge your the best of even the best of your ideas and some do it you know some do sometimes some do it in a very direct way they call the baby ugly other cases. I've had situations where uh, people were really good at pointing out all the pretty babies around mine, and 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 by virtue of that, letting me draw my own conclusions. Yep. Uh, and but the the net of it is, it's the truth, right? And and uh, you, you look at someone like like Blockbuster, right? Man, I mean, I, I would love to have been a fly on the wall in, in uh in, in that boardroom in the conversations that must have unfolded is that whole, that whole model was changing around them and they just doubled down on what they had already done.
0: That, that, that quote or that conversation reminds me of my, uh, one of my favorite quotes from an economist, John Maynard Keynes who's one of the architects of modern economics and was also in his own right. One of the, one of the fathers of modern investment management as well. Yeah. And he said that, um, uh the market can remain irrational longer than you can stay solvent. <laughs> oh, that's profound. Isn't it though? I mean what a great quote. <laughs> that's just, that's just
1: <laughs> profound, right? And and in it, it, what, the the other thing that's true about that, that, what I love about that is there is always margin, regardless of the economic reality, there is always margin where there is mystery. Always. Yep. And and yet what we tend to do when things get uncertain is to control the things we can and just just, just hunker down and 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 make ourselves unique, just like everybody else. Um, so that's that's profound. I hadn't heard that quote before, but I love it.
0: Well, I wish I'd said it, but all I can do is parrot it to you. But um, so when, when we look at, at at recession proofing or making companies recession recession resilient, in your experience, is that more often? involve making maybe a small number of massive changes or maybe a larger number of smaller changes? Or is there some other way to kind of think about the the scope and depth of change that needs to occur in order to achieve that that recession-resistant property?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it is, again, I'll use my favorite answer, it depends. I, I think it is somewhat situational. But in more cases than not, um the big changes are simply changes that should have happened in most cases a long time ago and the only reason they're evident now is because because we got no choice um you know sales growth causes uh, it covers a multitude of sins and, and you want to uh and and so when that stops uh particularly high growth uh when that revenue uh when that revenue curve inverts or, or 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 levels off plateaus sins that weren't visible before become visible very quickly uh, businesses that we're in that we have no business being in uh, lines of business or customer relationships that are just plain unprofitable Um some of those are really big decisions, like we got to get out of uh, of a line of business. Um, some of those are are, are or, or even perhaps part ways with a large client that we thought was more profitable than they were. Um, many of them, though, are are small decisions. So I would say the the majority of the big decisions are are just decisions that that I have to make and should have you know a year, five years, or maybe or maybe even longer ago, and they're only now visible. But the things that and, and those those have to happen to stop the bleeding to keep the company solvent that sort of thing. The path to recovery, though, often is a series of very small, intentional, low-risk experiments. Uh, all of which, if coordinated appropriately, add up to to meaningful and sustainable change.
0: So it it sounds like that for you know for the most part the changes a company makes are, are not sort of one-time fixes, but they're some the things that need to be uh, consistent. And I guess the way the best described would be of a structural nature. Yeah. They're not yeah. superficial and cosmetic, but they're really fundamental to how the company does businesses or even makes decisions.
1: Yeah, cer- certainly. And I, and I think the, you know, because you'll get a couple of big wins. I mean, with any recession that things will stand out, that revenue curve inverts. Things will stand out uh, that have never that haven't stood out in in the face of uh, of revenue, you know, significant revenue growth. But the things that you know, those come and go pretty quickly, and you get the win. The things that keep on giving are the things that make a five hundred dollar a month difference here and a hundred dollar a month difference there and $70 a seventy dollar. I mean, it's, it's it's many times it's really a lot of really really small things that add up to to monumental differences. Um, And and I think that's, that's hard to, to hard, it's hard to remain disciplined in looking for those things when the world around you is crumbling. Um, And and that again, is where I I would just really encourage people to think about, well, how can I surround myself with people who are not as emotionally attached to to this thing as, as I am.
0: So it's sort of seeing sort of a psychographic profile Sort of coalesce here that, you know, being able to being able to be cold and calculating is kind of critical to making the right decision in a high stress environment, which I guess in re- in retrospect makes sense. But like so many things, when you're kind of in the weeds, uh, you don't necessarily see the entire picture. Um, yeah. Yeah. So are are there are there businesses in certain kinds of industries that are easier to make? recession proof than others you know for example i would imagine that companies that have high operating leverage really yeah. would struggle because like you said they just can't they just can't scale the way that optimally you'd like to they're kind of built yeah. they're built entirely yeah. to capture upside
1: yeah, you know, it, it, and it's interesting, but even in those scenarios, there is substantial opportunity if you're willing to step back and think logically and rationally, and and, and think about all right, where's the margin? Where's the mystery? And and, and therefore, there's got to be margin there. And how can I leverage that margin to even if it's something I'd rather not do in the long term? How can I leverage that margin to cover that high fixed cost, if you will, high capital uh, cost, depreciation cost? What, what do I got to do? To, to to make it work, to get through to the other side of this thing. So an example I might give you is I, I worked um, for a number of years with one of the largest egg uh, producers in 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 the world. Uh, I had 15, 16 million chickens, um, which is hard to even get your head around to begin with. But uh, and, and every one of these things lays an egg every 26 hours, things you don't think about unless you're in this business, right? And so that's 15 million eggs a day that come whether you want them or not. And ninety, or excuse me, I, th- I think it's a high seventy percent, eighty percent of the cost of that egg is in is in feed, but yet you've got animals. There's a lot. It's a very complex industry, and it is a feast and famine industry. Uh, you know, you'll you'll make a killing one year, and then you'll just lose your shorts for for a couple of years. It's 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 an industry that takes a tremendous amount of uh, of resilience to to be in, um, and. So, if you'll recall, <clears throat> uh, some number of years ago, we, we had the avian influenza epidemic. And uh, it, so, bird flu hits. I mean, it's something that's totally beyond your control. Um, you, you can't cover every pin. If you've got 15 million chickens, you, you can't physically enclose them. And so, duck flies by, goose flies by with a- a- AI, with avian influenza, lands in uh, uh, a flock, infects that flock, that flock comes into contact with the other flock and pretty soon you can find yourself in a situation in this case they lost half of their production in a in a series of a very short period of yes. a couple of months so we go from you know all of a sudden 15 16 million chickens to 8 right so we got all this incredible capital overhead now you don't just run down to the true value and and say hey I'd like to I'd like to order 8 million you know, uh, uh, layers. That's just not how that works. Right. So there, so all of a sudden now we, we've got to, Hey, we got to get rid of what we got in, in a safe way. We've got to sanitize all these environments. Now we got to think about where do we get 8 million birds and, and very quickly because the bills keep coming regardless of whether we have eggs to pay for them or not. And, um, very, very, very difficult time. Fascinating. This leader, one of the the best I've come into contact with, um, just refused to see that as anything other than inconvenience. Um, And as a result, for a period of time, they actually became a government contractor uh, that went to their, uh, A, cleaned up uh, their own mess, you you know, euthanized the birds, um, turned them into actually, uh, you know, product either fertilizer or some other product that was actually saleable um and they and they did so for their competitors so while their competitors w- were freaking out uh, over what are we going to do they had pivoted and was it was it was pretty no was it difficult absolutely was it stressful it was ridiculously stressful but you know what they didn't lay anybody off and so after they got over the hump got uh, you know they contracted with somebody to 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 raise 8 million more birds and got things cleaned up they were back at it before their competitors were. So they saw, again, they just refused to look at that as anything other than an inconvenience. It's a factor. It's not an excuse. And I think it's that mindset, you know, uh, that, that that makes someone recession-proof or recession-resilient rather than any one thing that you can do.
0: So, you know, and this segues nicely into the next question then, which is, I'm curious if you have a view, what's harder about about addressing or confronting a recession, knowing what to do or actually carrying it out?
1: Ha-ha. <laughs> yeah. Um, gosh. Uh, Yogi Bear, I love Gosh, I love that guy. If there's somebody I could go back in history and meet, uh, it, it would be, there's a couple of people. I think he, him, Mark Twain, some other folks. But he, he famously quipped, uh, you know, if you don't know where you're going, you'll end up somewhere else. And it, so I think they're both hard uh and but you don't if you don't know what to do chances are you'll do something else and, and the best time to decide what to do is not after the economy shift. it's now like I, I think you know i like to poke fun at economists but i think um there there's a fair uh, consistency in the belief that the recession's not going to happen in the next 3 months and and i don't think anybody believes it's going to be on on the order of the magnitude uh, of two thousand and eight uh, barring some major world event or something to that to that effect. Um, but so we got some time. that's the, that's the good news. And so, my encouragement would be do something with that time. Don't just sit here and think about it. Uh, you know I think about uh, even people like oh, uh, remember Captain uh, Sully Sullenberger. Uh, sure. That guy saved 155 lives when he successfully landed his his disabled plane on the Hudson. And I'll guarantee you that he did not wait until that bird strike to start planning for the emergency. He he already knew what to do. It's just a matter of remaining calm and executing the plan. He had practiced that over and over and over and over. What are the chances that you lose two jet engines? One of some of the most reliable machines in the world that have ever been invented. You lose two of them uh that soon after takeoff but nonetheless remain disciplined and all right there's no normal environment there's the one i'm in there's the one i should be pre- preparing for and he knew in that phase of flight that he should be preparing for that reality so he knew what to do it's just a matter of remaining calm executing the plan and in keeping with that analogy the best possible scenario is people listen to this podcast and don't need it right they they, they know what to do and they never even have to do it
0: so, you know, I'm glad you brought up kind of this timing because there's there's a growing belief that a recession is likely between now and the end of next year. And so, you know, if that's the case, and let's say I'm listening to this podcast and I'm convinced that A, recession proof is feasible and and B, it's something I, I should do. Is there enough time to do things and, and execute them for most businesses that, you know, it can make a difference or do they kind of have to wait until the recession after that to really gain benefit?
1: Oh, I, I absolutely think there's 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 plenty of time. And again, barring you know something major uh, happening, some world event or something that we're we're it just wasn't on the radar. I think there's more than enough time. Um, you know, and if you want to start to think that way, just take some r- real disciplined time, time that we would uh, probably argue in this employment environment and the, and how just how hard it is to operate right now that we don't have. And model a scenario where you lose 40 percent of your revenue uh, in a short time. Model that avian influenza—you you know your version of that avian influenza plan. Could you survive? Would you still make money? If not, why not? And th- th- those questions are, are, are a great place to start, both to identify, as we were talking about earlier, the uh, y- you know the big one-hit things that might be really painful, but gosh, they provide a lot of you, you know a, a, a lot of benefit. Uh, as well as have a list of prioritized items that we would do again, all of which we might not enjoy but but building those plans now, I think if you just model some sort of revenue correction uh, that will reveal start to reveal what uh, where you should start. I don't think it has to be any more complicated than that because I will say i'll 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 go there for just a second too I see people that get fixated. Uh, uh, and driven by fear. Um, and, and I would, I would just offer that that's counterproductive. Um, this, these plans that I'm talking about, you know, as you build plans for what you might do in the case of an emergency are, are, you know, a matter of a page or two or three, maybe we're not talking about some, uh, you know, a full execution manual or anything to that effect. Um uh, just because the the, the reality around this is changing all the time. And so if you if you try to make this too precise, chances are you'll you'll uh just it'll just end in frustration.
0: Um so let, let me ask let me ask this. I just have one or two more questions and then we gotta let you get back to where you're doing what you're doing. But sure. you can, can recessions offer... Kind of an—I guess we kind of talked about this a little bit, but I want to hit upon it because you know that fear that you talked about—I I, think—is really important to master because um, I've read that people's decision making, their their effective IQ, decreases by as much as thirty percent when they're in a state of fear, right? As they react to crisis, and I don't know if you've read anything similar yeah. to that, but the benefit of having some sort of re- re- recession proofing is, I think that it puts you in a place where more intelligent decision-making can take place because your fear is kind of amped down a little bit. Does, does that make any sense to you or am I yeah. all wet?
1: No, no, no. I think I, I've read similar things. I hadn't read that specific st- statistic, but it makes total sense given, uh, you know, how I've seen s- some of the clients here at Aileron even respond to what I'll refer to as industry specific recessions that that I've seen in the last five or six years. um, <clears throat> And it is it is really interesting. the 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 ability to think rationally is severely hampered by uh, stress, uncertainty, fear, uncertainty, doubt, and and that's why I think it's <clears throat> there's always opportunity. I mean, we we shoot we've got we've got the bank coming at us. I happen to uh, still remain a partner in the company that I, I founded back in 1997, and the bank recently sat down with us and said we we'd like you to borrow some money and buy a business. And I said, you got to be out of your mind. I mean, why on earth would I? I mean, there, there are people demanding multiples as high as 50, 60, 70% higher than is even rational right now. And you want me to borrow money from you, likely based upon some sort of revenue model that, that, that makes absolutely no sense? Uh, you got to be crazy. Um, what I'd rather do is, is what, what, what conversations do we have be, need to be having now, so that when the when our financials don't look as strong and when the outlook doesn't look as rosy, that you're as willing then to give me the money as you are now. Like what what, what sort of indicators do you need to have from me to show you that we're being responsible while we do have capital? and access to capital so that you'll trust that we'll ha- be as responsible or more so when the real opportunity exists. Um, and so there's there, there, there are people around us making noise and all kinds of, very candidly, unhelpful, unhelpful uh, uh, pushing us in unhelpful directions. And I think it comes down to, again, outside influence, whether it's a board of advisors, whether it's people that you rely on. Uh, and it can be people – uh, like your accountant, that aren't, that aren't, uh, I mean, don't dis, don't discount that, you know, people that you may already be in conversations with, um, just, it's, a, it's just a matter of slowing down and asking them for real feedback, real, on, real and honest feedback, um, because that's the intellectual honesty that'll, that'll ultimately reveal the opportunities that exist.
0: Well, Wes, this has been great, and, and I realize that I'm, I'm probably one of your last to do things of the, uh, of the week here, so, uh, I want to wrap up, but I do want to give that uh, some direction or some opportunity for our listeners to maybe follow up. If someone wants to talk to you about maybe making their business a bit more recession-proof and have that conversation, what's the best way for them to reach out to you?
1: Yeah, so um, our website is www.aileron.org. Www.aileron, aileron.org. And um, <clears throat> if you just uh, search Discover Session, Um, we actually, uh, uh, will, a business advisor or a team member from our staff will actually sit down with a business owner and help explore where they are, um, and we're not a fit for everyone, um, but that that's the goal of that initial meeting is just to sit down, ask a bunch of questions, learn about where they are, and and connect them with anything here that they might find helpful. So it, it's been a delight and a pleasure to be uh, a part of the program today. Thank you very much.
0: Well, thank you for coming on. And um, well, that's going to wrap it up for today's program. I'd like to thank West Guy so much for joining us and sharing his expertise with us today. We'll be exploring a new topic each week, so please tune in so that when you're faced with your next business decision you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us so that we can help them. Once again, this is Mike Blake, our sponsor sponsors, Bradyware and Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast.